Hello everyone and welcome to the third episode of Finding History. I'm your host Victoria and today I'm going to tell you a story, a story with more questions than answers and left forever unsolved. Today I'm going to talk to you about the princes in the tower. The princes in the tower refers to the story of two brothers who were the sons of medieval English King Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth Woodville who went into the Tower of London and were never seen again. Never seen alive, never seen dead. There has been a lot of speculation as to what happened with the boys. It was a tense time in English history, as this was during the War of the Roses, a series of civil wars for control for the throne of England, fought between supporters of two rival cadet branches of the Royal House of Plantagenet, the House of Lancaster and the House of York. The princes were of the House of York, and their father still held power until his death. The conflict lasted through many sporadic episodes between 1455 and 1487, but there was related fighting before and after this period between parties because, of course there would be, the power struggle ignited around social and financial troubles following the Hundred Years' War, which I'll admit I don't know a whole lot about. Um, it's a hundred years of history that when I try to read it, I always just kind of pause and I'm like, wait, are you guys really still fighting about the same thing and everybody around you just has to inherit this war? Like, that's really silly. Um, anyway, some wild shit happened during the War of Roses, also referred to as the Cousins War. Uh, the Princes in the Tower is probably the quintessential event that really shaped the War of Roses. Um, I will refer more to the War of Roses in the next episode, as it will be about Henry VI of England and his mental instability. After I tell you some of what we do know of the events leading to the disappearances, I'm going to talk about some of the suspects involved in the disappearance of the two princes, and what I think might have actually happened. I'm going to be throwing around a lot of names, and the English weren't very creative with their names, especially the royals, so expect to hear a lot of Elizabeth, Edward, Richards, etc. With that said, let's go back to the 15th century. Picture this. It's early April in the year 1483 in England. The York King, messy-ass Edward IV, fuckboy cheater who fathered a lot of children with a lot of different women. Historians say he lived a very rough life, almost always at war or in battle, even living some time in exile. He drank his trauma away with tons of alcohol and gorged himself on food to the point where he would puke and then start the process all over again. And this hard lifestyle caught up to him as the now rough-looking 40-year-old lay dying. Edward IV had his wife and his brother, Richard, future Richard III, by his side. He names his brother as protector of his son until he is old enough to become king. His wife, Elizabeth, is disappointed by this news as she wished her brother would act as protector of their son, as their son had been under Anthony, the queen's brother's, supervision for some time. Elizabeth was greatly disliked by Edward's York family as she was a commoner. In fact, they all hated Elizabeth and her large podunk family. When the king dies, word gets to their 12-year-old son, Edward V, within a couple of days. It was customary to send the heir apparent to live near Wales in Ludlow Castle, which is where Edward had resided for some years. Now this is where things are about to get immediately suspicious. 
Edward V leaves Ludlow ten days after learning of his father's death. Edward left with his guardian, Anthony Rivers, again the queen's brother, and his half-brother from his mother's first marriage, uh, Richard Grey. He was to meet his uncle Richard in Northampton at a halfway point between them, and then they would ride to London together. Instead, Edward and his party had traveled onward to Stony Stratford, which was, and still is, a small city close to Northampton. Richard met with them, where they wined and dined. But the next day, Richard had arrested Anthony and Richard Gray and sent them north. Despite Richard's assurances, they were both executed on grounds of treason without having done anything. There are reports that Edward V had protested this act, but his uncle assured him they'd be fine. Then Richard is said to have dismissed all of Edward's entourage and escorted him alone to London. I'm a little unclear on the timeline here, but I know somehow Elizabeth had heard her brother and her son Richard Gray had been executed, so she gathered her daughters and her nine-year-old son with her and fled the castle. She found sanctuary at Westminster Abbey, as she had done before. It's pretty obvious by this move that Elizabeth knew that she wasn't safe in the York household. On May 19, 1483, the new king took residence in the Tower of London, as was custom for all monarchs pending coronation. On June 16th, Elizabeth was forced to hand over her nine-year-old son, and he joined his brother in the Tower of London. On June the 22nd, Ralph Shaw, a 15th-century English theologian, preached a sermon declaring that Edward IV had already been pre-contracted to marry another woman when he married Elizabeth Woodville, thereby rendering his marriage to Elizabeth invalid and their children illegitimate. On June 25th, an assembly of lords and commons declared Richard to be the legitimate king. Richard became Richard III in early July. After Richard III's coronation, the boys were moved to the inner apartments of the Tower of London and were seen less and less as the days went on. The last recorded sighting of them was of both boys in the garden towards the end of summer 1483. There was rumor to have been an attempt made to rescue the boys from the tower in July of that year, but the rescuers were ambushed and a second attempt never happened. Four unidentified bodies, possibly six bodies, have been found which could be the princes. Two to four of them were found at the Tower of London and two in St. George's Chapel in Windsor Castle. The pair found in the tower were discovered in 1674. At this time, the Tudor dynasty had ended uh, 70 years prior. The bones were found by workmen working on a remodel of the staircase within the White Tower near the chapel. They were in a wooden box buried 10 feet under the staircase. They were not the first children's skeletons found within the tower, though. The bones of two children had been previously found in an old chamber that had been walled up, which suggests those could be the princes, as it would be fitting that they'd wall the children up so no one could ever find them. The bones found in the wooden box, however, are believed to belong to aristocrats, as they found pieces of rag and velvet. Velvet was a highly valued fabric at the time, and only the wealthy could afford it. Four years after their discovery, uh, they were placed in an urn on the orders of King Charles II and interred in Westminster Abbey. 
Abbey officials have refused to allow any DNA testing to be done to determine if they are the princes or not, which I find this to be unfortunate. The bones, however, were removed and examined in 1933. The bones were found to have been interred carelessly, along with chicken and other animal bones. I could imagine that this act was probably done in haste then. Um, they could possibly grab the box, whatever box that was available, and threw the children in. Uh, the only conclusion found that the bones were estimated to be um, the same ages as the princes were at the time of death. However, no attempt was made to determine if the bones were male or if they were female. In 1789, workmen carrying out repairs in St. George's Chapel in Windsor rediscovered and accidentally broke into the vault of Edward IV and Queen Elizabeth Woodville, discovering in the process what appeared to be a small adjoining vault. The vault was found to contain the coffins of two unidentified children. However, no inspection or examination was carried out, and the tomb was resealed. The tomb was inscribed with the names of two of their other children, Prince George, who had died at the age of two, and Mary of York, who had died at 14. However, two lead coffins clearly labeled as George Plantagenet and Mary Plantagenet were subsequently discovered elsewhere in the chapel and removed into the adjoining vault of Edward IV's. But at the time, no effort was made to identify the two lead coffins already in Edward IV's vault. By the 1990s, a request was forwarded to the Dean and Canons of Windsor to consider a possible examination of the two vaults, either by fiber optic camera or a physical re-examination of the two bodies in the unidentified lead coffins. However, royal consent would need to be given in order to open any royal tomb, and that request was denied. In 2012, the Leicester archaeological dig had prompted renewed interest in re-excavating the skeletons of the two princes, but Queen Elizabeth II has not granted approval required for any such testing. Now, I actually don't think the lead coffins in St. George's Cathedral are the boys. I feel like that would require effort, um, and that effort would have been an obvious one and couldn't have been kept a secret if they were, in fact, the two princes. Um, I have no idea who those coffins belong to, though. Uh, I think the likely pair are the ones found in the wooden box beneath the tower steps, or the pair of children walled up to be forgotten. I do not think the boys ever left the tower once they were imprisoned, and moving them beyond the tower was uh, too high risk for the persons involved. Now let us look at what we do know, and I think that looking at the entirety of the family and history of the time will paint a better picture for us, um, especially of the events that went down. Now some speculate that the York family didn't want Edward V as king because he was Elizabeth Woodville's son and would be guided by her family's influence. Remember I said they hated Elizabeth? Well, they really did. At the time when Edward and her married, it was done privately with only a handful of attendants, and Elizabeth was a widower, a mother of two boys, slightly older than Edward, and had come from a family that had, had once supported the Lancastrian cause. The Yorks also terrorized Elizabeth's family. They accused her own mother of witchcraft, and she even went to trial. Thankfully, she was able to avoid persecution. The Earl of Warwick, 
who was a cousin of the Yorks and had supported Edward's cause, also greatly disliked Elizabeth. After he had broken ties with Edward, he murdered Elizabeth's father and one of her brothers. Some historians try to shift blame onto Elizabeth for her own fall from grace. She was referred to as haughty and always scheming. She came from a large family with 14 siblings. When Elizabeth became queen, she ensured all her siblings had high-ranking marriages, and a lot of nobility was pretty pissed about this, as her family was seen as common. But I certainly don't fault Elizabeth for doing this, especially by medieval standards. She needed to establish power, and she needed to secure her family's future. We do not know what was said or done to convince Elizabeth to relinquish her son Richard from sanctuary. Perhaps she was told it was for the coronation, or perhaps he was taken by force. We just don't know. What we do know is that this was the last time she would ever see her son again. Around the same time Richard III imprisoned Anthony Rivers and Richard Gray, he had accused another loyal supporter of his of conspiring with Elizabeth Woodville. There is no such proof uh, such a plot existed, but Richard believed that Elizabeth was plotting to murder and utterly destroy him. Perhaps this was the motivation Richard needed to keep his own nephews captive. It is unclear when the plan changed from acting as protector to becoming king. The only living contemporary account of someone during that time comes from an Italian friar, Dominic Mancini, who was in London in the spring and summer of 1483. Mancini records that during this period, Edward was regularly visited by a doctor, who reported that Edward, in his words, like a victim prepared for sacrifice, sought remission of his sins by daily confession and penance, because he believed that death was facing him. We know the doctor's name, who visited the distressed child Edward. His name was John Argentine, who later went on to treat Prince Arthur Tudor, the son of Henry Tudor, who is one of our suspects in this case. What I find peculiar is that there is very little information about this doctor available. I don't know much about medieval medicine, but why wouldn't there be any further information describing the young prince's illness, if there was indeed an illness? Was he even physically sick, or did the fact that he had been kept a prisoner make him sick with anxiety? Or was he slowly being poisoned by this doctor under rule of Richard III or possibly Henry Tudor? Because I find it quite odd that the doctor who provided care um, would be allowed to work so closely with the Tudors in the future. A lot of folks don't consider John Argentine a suspect, but indeed I do. It is also rumored that the boys could have been the victim of the sweating sickness. In the summer of 1483, apparently there had been an outbreak. The Tower of London is at the heart of London and would be a hot spot for disease. However, the sweating sickness is one that would kill you within a day. If Edward was being seen by a doctor daily, I think something else was going on with him, and I don't think it was that illness in particular. I do think, however, he was physically ill from anxiety because he knew he was in danger. After Richard III became king, Elizabeth Woodville allied herself with a former lady-in-waiting, Margaret Beaufort, mother of Henry Tudor, the last male Lancastrian heir. To strengthen Henry's claim to the throne and to unite the feuding houses, Elizabeth and Margaret agreed that Elizabeth's daughter, who, for confusion's sake we will call Lizzie, 
was to marry Henry Tudor, which unites both York and Lancaster under the Tudor name. The proposal was presented to Henry Tudor, who was in France at the time, and he declared publicly in December of 1483 that he would wed Lizzie. It is important to note here that Lizzie had every right to the throne, but was not seen as a threat because she was a woman, and women were not allowed to be monarchs. I think it would have been really something special if, after the princess went missing, that support started rallying behind Lizzie York for queen, thus making her Elizabeth I. At Richard III's first act of Parliament of January 1484, he stripped Elizabeth Woodville of all the lands given to her during her husband's uh, Edward IV's reign. On March 1st, 1484, almost a year after her husband's death, Elizabeth and her daughters came out of sanctuary after Richard III publicly swore an oath that her daughters would not be harmed or molested and that they would not be imprisoned in the Tower of London or any prison. He also promised to provide them with marriage portions and to marry them to gentle-born men. They were princesses in their own rights, but would not receive royal marriages. The family is said to have returned to court and reconciled with Richard III, and even spent Christmas with Richard. Some historians would see this as a sign that Richard did not kill the princes. They don't see how Elizabeth Woodville would have accepted Richard's reign unless she was sure he was not responsible for the murder of her sons. But this was the same man who said her marriage was invalid. He was the same man who had her brother and her son from her first marriage unjustly killed, who had sent his goons in to claim her son in sanctuary under false pretenses. I understand this is a medieval woman, a medieval white woman at that, and we all know there's a history of white women in power being complicit and forgiving of the ruling patriarchy, even when it harms them. However, that does not mean she wasn't terrified for her own safety and that of her remaining children. Richard III's reign was short. His wife died in March of 1485 and his child and heir sometime before that. Shortly after that, Henry Tudor invaded England and the pair fought at the Battle of Bosworth. Richard's army greatly outnumbered Henry's and it was a clear victory until Richard's army began to turn on him under the command of Margaret Beaufort's husband, Lord Stanley. Richard had spotted Henry Tudor and went charging into his group unattended. He was a short distance away from ending Henry Tudor when someone knocked Richard to the ground and he was stabbed in the head multiple times. The horse no one was betting on, Henry Tudor, won the English crown by conquest. Tudor's supporters would go around claiming that it was Richard III who had the princes in the tower murdered. Thomas More, who was five years old at the time of the events, wrote a chronicle about the disappearance of the princes, and most of it was complete hogwash, made-up events that were accepted as truth at the time. Thomas declares that someone did confess to the murder of the boys some years later, and that he acted under the direct orders of Richard III. However, there is no proof of this, of course. There is also the play from William Shakespeare, Richard III, that paints Richard as a monster, both in body and soul. He presented him as being very physically deformed and sinister. At this time in history, people with physical disabilities were assumed to be cursed by the devil and inherently prone to evil. Nevertheless, this play exhibited Richard as a ruthless tyrant completely capable of murdering his own blood. 
The Tudors, they ate up this Richard III slander like hotcakes. In fact, a lot of what was known of Richard for centuries was mostly just Tudor propaganda. After Henry Tudor became king, with his wife Lizzie York reigning beside him, there was never any sort of investigation brought up about the missing princes. Those were Lizzie's brothers. I mean, how did she, as queen, still not know what happened to them? Why wouldn't Henry have declared, I don't know, like, a memorial for the boys, something to... Something about their memory, you know, some acknowledgement. I think it would have been a, a considerate gesture at least, especially as Lizzie, who was now queen, um, that was her family. I mean, come on. Um, I assume grief and the process of grief was not a thing to ever be considered in medieval, in the medieval mindset, especially that of royalty, but I find that pretty upsetting. However, that automatically makes me think, you know, he's definitely a suspect in the murder. Henry Tudor was in France at the time of the disappearances, as I mentioned before, but he always kept correspondence with his mother, Margaret. Now, Margaret would inform him and his uncle of any news in York-occupied England. She would have definitely told him all about the missing princes and the shenanigans going on there. We have to consider, Margaret was a wealthy woman and also a woman who could have been Lancastrian heir and Queen of England if England didn't hate women so much. Uh, she had the means to hire people to do the murder, men who worked for both York and Lancaster especially. Here is a mini backstory on Margaret. Henry Tudor's dad married Margaret when she was 12 and he was, I think, 27. Gross. Margaret gave birth to Henry at 13. Holy trauma, yikes. Margaret was forced to marry as a child to have a Lancastrian heir, and it was something that damaged her for the rest of her life. It's sad and infuriating that, be sh that she, because she was a girl, wouldn't be considered an heir, but rather offered as a sacrifice to produce an heir. Shame on them. I don't get how medieval English women didn't just kill their oppressive dudes all the time. I, I really don't understand. Here's the thing, though. Margaret still abided by these rules of the game and did what she could to secure the throne for her child. No one is above killing children in this story, especially these folks who are all suspects. Margaret and Henry Tudor are definitely suspects. Also, remember I said the thing about Margaret's husband, Lord Stanley, changing his mind mid-battle to join Henry Tudor's army? Highly, highly suspect. Now let's see here. We have John Argentine, Edward V's physician, who we rarely hear from again as a suspect. We have Henry Tudor and his mother, well, let's say his family as suspects. And we know the Tudors, um, or we know that the Tudors, for the entirety of their reign, profited off of the defiling of Richard III's memory and successfully shifted any culpability onto him. But let's look at Richard again, who is our likely suspect when examining his actions leading to the disappearances. We do not know what happened in those moments shortly after King Edward IV died. What kind of scheming was done um, amongst the remaining York family to ensure Richard becomes king in next in line and not the Woodville Prince? Richard III had one other nephew that he did not harm, but had more claim to the throne than he did. George was the wayward York prince who was open 
about his disdain for Elizabeth Woodville and Edward IV's union. He revolted against the couple twice, and in the second act resulted in his own execution. Edward IV executed his own brother by having him drowned in a barrel of Malmsey wine. George had two children at the time of his death, a daughter Maggie and a son Edward, who, for confusion's sake, were going to call Teddy, as that was his nickname. Teddy was described as having a mental disability and was perhaps not seen as a threat, at least by Richard III and the York family. So perhaps this was why Richard did not harm him. But Henry Tudor did see the child as a threat and imprisoned him. Teddy is said to have had a sharp mental decline while imprisoned. Remember how I said no one is above killing in this story? Remember that. Richard, however, never made any sort of declaration that the boys had died, nor did he show proof of them being alive. The matter was just ignored. If he had not been guilty of their murder, why wouldn't he have just said so and looked into the matter? Why wouldn't he have wanted some sort of investigation started? He could have felt that in doing so, in presenting them, would feel some sort of rebellion against him. Then again, that reason alone would give him reason to kill them and not say much else about it. The king is the ultimate power, and an investigation into the murders wouldn't be conducted unless he gave permission. As much as the Tudor dynasty damaged the reputation of Richard III, his case for innocence doesn't look good. It's said by historians that Richard wouldn't have been the one to physically carry out the act as he was outside of the city at the time. But it's also possible someone he had hired and trusted did the act for him. William Shakespeare painted Richard III as a monster villain, but I find him to be the result of the environment in which he was born to. I believe that the Yorks conspired to have Richard as king with little regard as to what happened to the boys. The Yorks sacrificed each other for power. They aren't above killing their own blood. Clearly, as they had murdered George, and George would have killed them given the chance. I don't see the murder of the princes in the tower as an act committed by one person. I see it as a family act and a horrible case of neglect. It is possible that there um, was some sort of proof or documentation of what happened to the princes and that was destroyed or lost to history. It is possible, but I just don't think so. I believe that the act was done carelessly and in haste. I believe Elizabeth Woodville died never knowing what happened to her children. I believe the Yorks were negligent in protecting their own line of succession and tore each other to pieces over the crown. What few Yorks remained were constantly interrogated or bullied by the Tudor family, who inherited the York paranoia and killed any threat to their power. And yes, there are folks with Plantagenet blood still alive, but I'm not referring to them. I'm talking about the immediate family of Richard III and the York dynasty. Here is another reason I don't believe any document or proof existed regarding the fate of the princes. During Henry Tudor's reign, two York pretenders came to the throne claiming to be Richard York, the youngest of the two princes. Henry Tudor did not outright kill these men. In fact, he invited one to his court, possibly to see if his wife would recognize him as her brother. She didn't. In fact, it's rumored that these pretenders had an upsetting effect on Lizzie. 
Maybe because she herself didn't know what happened to them and it sparked some sort of hope, or maybe because she knew they were dead. I think Henry didn't worry too much about the pretenders because he knew the princes were dead, thus still at least, in my mind, considers him a suspect. Perhaps my answer won't satisfy you, but here's what I think happened, or what I think might have happened. I think once Richard III became protector of the boys, the Yorks and him plotted to, for him to become king, disposing of both Edward V and his brother Richard. However, they would have had to realize by disposing of the two boys um, that would make them more vulnerable to being overruled by Henry Tudor, who was becoming more and more of a threat with the Yorks, who were making it easy for him to conquer them by slaughtering each other in the process. But maybe they didn't because based on the actions of this event and how they treated their own family, even possibly disposing of Henry VI, I think they as a whole are responsible for the death of the princes in the tower, but not directly. I think Richard had threatened to kill the boys in public, or be rid of them in some way. I think someone who worked for Tudor and the York family in secret, but presented as a trusted ally of Richard, heard this and committed the act themselves. I believe the boys were left neglected at the time of their murder, and whoever this person was snuck in and killed the boys. I think the smothering bit of the rumors of their death is true. I believe they were smothered in their bed, as there would have had to have been no trace left behind. Stabbing them would have definitely left a trace. I think that then that their bodies were shoved into the wooden box that was found under the tower stairs. I believe Richard had grown so fearful of what happened to the boys and scared that blame would be shifted to him that he avoided finding answers and therefore never spoke of it again. I think the Tudors had their answers as the news was smuggled to them. I cannot say for certain who this person was, but I believe it was the doctor, John Argentine, who was mentioned before, who I mentioned before, later secured a job with the Tudor family. I believe that what happened to the boys was not a result of a direct order to kill them, but rather a careless one done in haste and kept well hidden from the world. So, I really hope you found this episode interesting. I will be talking about the disposed King Henry VI of England in my next episode and touch more on the subject of the War of Roses. Till then, thank you for listening, and as always, stay safe and stay curious.